Video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected from Gen Z at this point. But you've got no time and little budget, and your Marcom department is two months late on those new program brochures they promised. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet GoodKind, a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention. And in a sea full of static, boring HTML emails from other schools, a personal video is how you stand out and drive action. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to book a demo and see just how powerful video marketing can be show your face show you care see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify so doing it on a calendar doing it with priorities and doing it zach with a sense of and a mindset of so what we're not approach any audiences and just go collect data for data's sake. We're going to be very deliberate. And then when I talk about a scorecard, maybe the CMO would use for their leadership and board, that's where I have some really critical tracking points. What are prospective students' willingness to think of us as a first choice institution? Today, number is 84%, and we aspire that that number is closer to 90%. One of my favorite quotes of all time is nothing is good or bad without comparison. And we can't make comparisons without having standardized instruments. I always remember college president. One standardized question we would ask is, would you recommend this university to prospective students? And this president, Zach, was so excited because it was 89%. Until I told him I've done at least 30 of those studies and it was the lowest number I've seen. Okie dokie, Ryan. We are live, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Good to be here with you. Dude, I'm I'm excited for this conversation because you, like we, we've talked several times um, and I feel like we first met maybe early on in the pandemic over like LinkedIn or something and we had a casual conversation. And then I feel like since then, you've just like exploded, dude. Like I, I don't know if it's just the algorithms or what, but I see your stuff like all the time, everywhere. People are engaging with it. People love it. So, um, dude, I'm just I'm just pumped to to kind of chat with you. We don't have an agenda for this conversation, which is great. We're just gonna like riff on all things higher ed marketing, which is what we we both like to do. But uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm just honored to I'm honored to be here with you, man. Awesome. I appreciate that. It's been humbling, Zach, to see the response on LinkedIn and uh, shattering really the status quo of higher ed marketing and know there's a better way in terms of doing things. So if you're excited, I'm just as excited to be with you today. Good man. Good man. Well, I actually thought it would be fun to to start with like 
anything you're willing to share about how you have really grown on LinkedIn? Because I think there's a lot of folks who are tuning into this conversation today who, you know, work in marketing or, or enrollment management who, you know, maybe maybe they're thinking about their next gig or maybe they're interested in sort of like rising uh, more publicly as a leader in, in the space. And obviously, you know, regular publication of content on social is, is one of the ways, right, to sort of like amass a, a following to, to kind of spread y- your influence. And you've done that so well over, you know, a relatively short period of time. So any any just kind of thoughts on how to how to build your your brand on on LinkedIn that you that you share with us? Yeah, I love hearing that, Zach. And consistency is the first thought that comes to mind. Mm. And uh, when you look at the most successful content creators, they're able not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for an extended period of time, show up consistently. And those thoughts of in terms of giving um, and and how you can do that on social, how you can do that in, in other uh, venues is so important. So when I started probably a year and a half ago, it was just, can, let me think of something, um, you know, maybe this market will resonate with. And then, over time, uh, you know, I could say the word humbling a hundred times as we talk, Zach, people have really resonated. And um, as we tell people as marketers all the time, we need to test. Otherwise, we don't know what's going to resonate, what's going to stick. Yeah. Over time, you can see what type of content read- readily, um, you know, works with people. And I think that uh, one of the big misses in marketing is that wonderful word empathy. Mm. I have a tremendous amount of empathy for for those people serving in higher education, marketing, and more specifically, leadership roles. Mm. So a lot of my posts that uh, you uh, end up noticing, there's great empathy and great authenticity in terms of truly believing that there's a better way and how important these people are um, to making uh, thriving colleges and universities. When you when you think about like approaching your, your content like a little bit more tactically, is there... Because you know, I, I've I've played the LinkedIn game too a little bit myself, and have learned have learned a few things. But um, I'm curious, from your perspective, like, is there a formula that you feel like works really well or works better? What are what are some kind of pro tips that have you just learned of, you know, how to how to optimize your content so that again the algorithm likes it and or um, you know to to maximize for I, I think like dwell time is like a really important like LinkedIn metric that they that they're that they pay attention to. So any any kind of thoughts on you know, just formulas or or frameworks for posting good social stuff, regardless of like what the actual meat of the content is. Yeah, Zach, and I think so much, um, you know, testing involved. And early on, I would be embarrassed to go back to some of my posts, very (laughs) low levels of engagement. And then the writing, Hmm. like any, it takes practice. And I could look in the past year, I've been able to sharpen my pencil and then understand the the timing uh, uh, of the, again, the consistency of post, um, but also what day of the week. Um, you know, there's certain things that LinkedIn um, rewards and there's certain things that LinkedIn penalizes. Hmm. So you've probably seen that wonderful show on a 
company the first 48 hours yes as they look about how important uh, those first 48 hours is in a murder investigation and i would argue with you this morning that uh, those same first 48 hours has a large um impact in terms of how in the reach on linkedin hmm. so if people engage with your post early on it is going to reach a much larger audience and if there's low levels of engagement early on um it is going to really limit the the reach so that's something again that uh, any platform or any content creator is going to really look at developing a consistent presence and for me zach what i've learned is mornings are a much better time to post yeah and certain days of the week. Um, so again, when I think about getting on a rhythm, I think I have over 9,000 um, followers now on LinkedIn, and they can expect in the mornings and probably three days during the week. And uh, so I would tell any new create content creator, just be consistent. And the other thing, Zach, is how do we balance in terms of a schedule and, uh, and getting into a regular rhythm and also the spontaneity? Uh, yeah. I'm talking to presidents and college leaders, and sometimes I can't wait uh, to get a post out because I'm really passionate and I know someone is going to benefit from hearing something. So that art and a science, we appreciate, we believe in as marketers. I think the th same holds true for content creation. There's a science behind that, those algorithms, and then there's also a level of spontaneity and the audience appreciating, um, you know, being authentic in your voice yeah yeah one of the things um that that i learned pretty early on um and you know if folks are just starting out here maybe this is just a this is you know pretty pretty tried and true for anyone who's been in the in the game for a little bit but if you're new to the game you might think well like i'm sharing all this content on linkedin and it's just like it's just not working or it's just not performing well and i you know a lot of the time and this is true beyond just linkedin but like uh, these networks don't love when you share outside links right like they want to keep people selfishly obviously on their respective network right and so you know when you're you're sharing your blog post or you're sharing your youtube video or whatever it might be and you're like wondering why is engagement so low why is my why are my impressions so low and it's like well you know take a minute to think about this what is linkedin linkedin's objective linkedin's objective is to increase average time spent on platform by user right like if you're if you're sharing content where the user's gonna have to go watch it or engage with it elsewhere of course they're gonna ding it right um as compared to a, a you know ryan post where you're, you're writing directly for the platform right um and that doesn't mean like linking outside content is a terrible idea oftentimes doing it in like you know the comments or whatever is is a, is a better sort of approach but any other just sort of like random things that you've learned along the way with respect to kind of how to craft a post and what works and what doesn't yeah, that one's a great one, Zach. And uh, absolutely, LinkedIn or other platforms will penalize you. Uh, hashtags, another one. Uh, don't use any more than three hashtags. I see some really well-intentioned folks do 15 or 20 hashtags, yeah. and it takes away in terms of the focus and, and potentially the reach of that. And so I think the maybe the, the most important point at all is your opening line. Uh, there mm. is so much noise out there. And to be able to grab people's attention, um, really focus from a, a, a writing perspective on that opening line. And again, how you can rise through that noise and grab people's attention. So um, again, those same things that in terms of um, uh, content creation and learning over time, what is a good hook? 
Um, yeah. yeah. And, and back to your point, um, absolutely. The link in the comment sections, uh, if you are providing one, is a much better approach than actually providing it in the actual post itself. And uh, it will absolutely affect the reach. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Um, and you know, if you're if you're tuning into this and you just want a good example of all this, just go follow Ryan because he, if you don't already, because he's just he's he's nailed it. Like, you know, I, I can see I can see the formula right, like on 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 repeat. And yet, like you know, obviously content differentiation is still important to keep users engaged. But like once you come once you figure out like a template that like works consistently, use that template until it no longer works, right? And and you know, and then change the template. Um, but no 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 need to like change the template until like you have to, right? But Ryan, we. Could could talk about like LinkedIn uh, content creation tips all day, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about like you. And so you, uh, you've been in the in the game for a while. You've you've held a, a variety of like interesting roles as a marketing leader in a number of organizations. Um, I, I'd love to like hear from your perspective, like what are you, what are you kind of doing right now? Like what are you focused on primarily? And then you know what are what are some like hot takes you have about the the state of the industry like things that like really keep you up at night things that you're things that are like really holding your attention right now yeah i love that zach and uh i'm just writing down hot takes series <laughs> you and i and um you know and i think so much as i listen to you is the evolution of higher ed marketing hmm. uh, i started when i was 21 years old and um you know the the notion of where marketing was hmm. uh, and it wasn't in the leadership at a college or university and so oftentimes as you can appreciate zach people um defer to the promotional p and what we've learned uh, in the last few years is marketing is so much more uh than just the promotional aspect. And so I get really jazzed when I see our marketing leaders have a seat at the table, can really help inform programs and service offerings, can be in the conversation around price and value proposition. And, you know, as you and I talked this morning, the really exciting part is that's starting to take place. Mm. Uh, I'm getting people that are talking about advice boards, not comprised of internal audiences, but comprised of students. Yeah. And so when you and I talk, I just see a tremendous amount of opportunity. We see in the news all the time, higher ed is an industry in crisis and people are leaving. And the reality of it is I can't think of a better time to be in a marketing leadership position as the conversation changes again around the promotional aspect to things that we can really impact and make a difference with students and donors. Yeah. So, you know, a hot take, Zach, would be that, you know, gone are the days I think someone can serve as a VP for enrollment and marketing. Mm. If you follow my post, I'm very deliberate. Yeah. And uh, I'm not uh, rallying against people who serve, I'm sure, very passionately in those roles. I'm rallying against the status quo. Mm. The expectations in these roles is very high. The expertise needed to be an enrollment leader and a marketing leader are very different skill sets mm. and expertise needed to do that. So when I study and do a lot of market research with thriving institutions, I can watch the operational structure. And so that's one that I just saw the other day, someone, a title of vice president of marketing enrollment and financial aid. Huh. In fact, 
something's got to give. Uh, <laughs> even with the smartest, most capable person, uh, we need people who go to bed every night and wake up every morning with an intentionality around marketing. Yeah. And I don't think it's reasonable for someone to be able to do that and also have that same mindset yeah. and focus uh, in terms of enrollment in the other areas that leader is responsible for. So when I look at the structure of colleges and the investment in marketing, um, I see that changing and that gets me really excited too. Uh, the what? last piece I'll say is I still talk with college presidents, Zach, who say they can't afford a marketing leader. And I chuckle and I say, you can't afford not to have a marketing leader, yeah. given the competition for students and financial supports. And when I look at when a college has a marketing leader with a proven track record, the game changes. Yeah get the right buy-in. They change the conversation around marketing. They break down these debilitating silos and build partnership across these campuses, which is so vital from a, a, a not only a marketing, but a branding perspective. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify podcast network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. So much good stuff there, Ryan. I want to ask a follow-up question just around the role of the senior marketing leader at a college or university. So what are your thoughts on whether or not higher ed needs more like VPs of marketing, more CMOs coming from outside the industry versus like just growing up in the industry. And, you know, obviously it, it, I'm sure it depends on context and whatnot, but like I have found so, some of the, some of the CMOs that I have been like more impressed with have a lot of experience outside of higher education and just have a perspective that I feel like is, is significantly broader. And, and they, they understand that they, they are leading, right. An enterprise. Like I remember I was talking with, with Jamie Hunt. She was the CMO at, at university of Miami in Ohio. And now she's a CMO at, at, um, uh, old dominion university in Virginia. And she said to me, she's like, Zach, you know, like I am like leading a billion dollar enterprise. Like what was like the, the framing that she thought about, like the, her role as, as the senior marketing leader at that respective institution. And I, I just, I was so, I was like uh, amazed by that, that particular like perspective. And it's like, yeah, like no shit you are like, that's awesome. Like I, I'm, I'm like, I'm thankful to hear that that's how you see it. Whereas I think a lot, you know, a lot of folks struggle to see, they, they've kind of grown up, they've been promoted and, or, and they're moved up the ladder because there hasn't been, because somebody left, right. Or there hasn't been another, you know, uh, a great option. I guess if, if you were to be talking to an ambitious marketer who loves higher education, right? Um, and, and loves the industry, but, and he wants to be able to like lead well as a CMO, like what are your thoughts on whether or not that individual should go get experience outside the industry? Can they learn everything they need to learn within higher education? Um, yeah, I don't know. Just, just react to, to all of those musings. 
Yeah, 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 Zach. And I think as I listen to you, higher ed as a whole, we've been too insulated. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've heard for, you know, decades that that don't, won't work in higher ed. Yeah. And here we are at some level of industry and crisis. So absolutely, I could see successful marketing leaders, CMO coming from for-profit backgrounds, coming from other um, levels of experience outside education. Yeah. And, uh, and I love connecting with those folks, Zach, because I watch and, you know, those understand that things are different. Yeah. And part of that is just the time. You know, things take longer at some level and we need our college and university partners to understand there's a cost of inaction. Mm. You know, spend the next 18 to 24 months planning. We're not moving any needles. Yeah. We're not creating a compelling case for donors and students. Um, so absolutely, I think there could be uh, successful leaders. And I think we're seeing more of that. Just like 10 or 15 years ago, we saw college presidents primarily coming from academia hmm. and very healthy in terms of presidents coming from other backgrounds and understanding at some level the urgency needed to be successful in our marketplace. Yeah. And that's where, Zach, I think it's so exciting that these CMOs are serving in cabinet positions. They're having a voice in terms of the future of these institutions. And again, thinking very different that marketing isn't just the billboard that's five miles from campus. It's the programs we offer. It's the modalities of how we deliver them. And our CMOs absolutely need to, to be in those conversations. Yeah. And as you and I continue to spend time together, Zach, I am a huge data-driven marketer. And a lot of the frustrations I see in terms of how can we use data much more effectively to impact decision-making. Yeah. I made a post last week on LinkedIn about cabinet feedback being much less important than student feedback. Mm. We can't be in those conversations unless we have the data. Hmm. And I love some really intentioned folks giving a, a marketing opinion and I can smile and say, that's great. But 95% of our students resonate with this particular tagline or this marketing message. It becomes very diffusing and it moves the conversation into a way of how we can ultimately serve students most effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a, that's a, that's a keen insight. I, I'd love you to, to talk a little bit about um, when, when you think about the data that marketers in higher education have access to, obviously it's going to vary widely depending on context, but like one, I guess one of the questions in the back of my head a lot when I am talking to folks, I'm like, you know, you, you have, you have a ton of data. Like most folks aren't, most folks don't have like, like it's rare that they don't have enough data. It's either one, they don't know how to interpret it properly. Two, they don't have the tools in place to help systematize it, to help kind of pull out trends, right, that are meaningful with respect to the data. Um, and, or, and or they do have all of those things and they just aren't looking at them, right? Like, so I guess, what do you think, and or, and I guess what I would, what I would sorry, I'm rambling here a little bit, but what, what I'm really getting at here is, Maybe, maybe, maybe incentives aren't lined appropriately and or uh, direction from leadership isn't clear enough uh, because otherwise you, I, I do feel like with these, these large enterprises, which most of our colleges and universities are compared to like a, you know, midsize SMB, um, you have access to an incredible amount of data. You have the tools to, 
you put put those insights into practice, but you're just you're just not doing them. And is, is it is it really just because you have like way too much on your plate? Like, how is it that the most important thing, which is to use this data to increase enrollment or increase advancement or just elevate the institution's brand as a whole, how is that not the number one priority? And how how is it not true that leadership understands that? Like, what what is broken? Yeah. I don't know if any yeah, of that makes sense. <laughs> no, but I, as I listen to you, I'm, I'm nodding, obviously, you know, like a, a, a bobblehead. And uh, so part of that, what we need to do is before anyone, um, you know, engages in research is to say, so what? So what are we going to do when we come back with the research and the findings? Mm. Those are really important discussions to have. The, the reality, as you say, Zach, schools are collecting data. Yeah. And um, and our audiences are fatigued. Um, so the first thing they're going to ask is, what are we going to do with this? And yeah. we need to do a much better job. So when I say, so what, it's how are we making sure that our research and um, in, in the actionable part of that. And so I'm uh, almost every day in conversations with colleges thinking about a brand audit, uh, a market perception study. And so we really need to go through that and say, how are you going to use this to impact your enrollment? And efforts. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so that piece, and then the standardization. Um, most schools, Zach, are not doing standardized market research. It'll be kind of a flavor of the month. Let's go and ask a customized set of questions. And what we can't do is compare that. Yeah, we can't sure. compare it with other schools and we can't compare it longitudinally with our own school yeah. unless we're consistent and have that. So start uh, the conversation. How are we going to use this data? And um, I think understanding in terms of the, the structure and the timing of that. So one of the, the studies is um, that I'm involved a lot in is these perception studies. Mm. I think it's really difficult for a school to be intentional about branding if they don't know how they're currently perceived. So having a, a, a sense of what are those current perceptions and starting with students. And so now that we've got that data and understand that, yes, maybe there's affordability issues, maybe there's a lack of perceived quality. And once we have that data, we can really use that to become more sophisticated in our marketing and branding. Yeah. So that's where I think schools, where I really encourage them to have a scorecard, get their senior level engagement in terms of what type of data is going to be most important for our board and leadership colleagues. We know for tuition-driven schools, enrollment is a really important part if marketing is working or not. Yeah. Same with fundraising. But as we look at those other indicators, are we perceived as a top choice for students and those who influence them? Having that timely data, Zach, becomes really, really critical. And like I said earlier, it becomes diffusing. Yeah. We move the conversation about what the president thinks, what the president's family thinks, to here's what our prospective students care most about, and here's how we can influence those associations based on this data. Yeah. Ryan, I want to ask a question about audits because I have um, I have very strong opinions on on audits because I, I, I feel like most most audits and this is going to sound a little bit harsh most audits uh, suck because they, they end up essentially being like lead gen for for firms right like yeah. some firms are like um, you know firms will give, give these audits away for free right some, sometimes right and those definitely suck um, or at least 90% of them suck 
Uh, and then others that, that, you know, they make you pay for, they, they still come back with, you know, the their hope, right, is that you're going to be, like, so overwhelmed by all this data and or so overwhelmed by all these findings that, like, you're going to be like, well, yep, I have to I have to pay Ryan to go help me solve all these problems that, like, he, you know, identified for me that I kind of knew, but now because Ryan's, at a, Ryan's a consultant, right, like, Ryan, Ryan did the audit, right, like, you know, this, this is official, right, um, and, and I, I knew these things in theory, and now I know them on paper from a, a trained professional, so... Uh, from from your perspective, your perspective, like what what makes a like what makes a really great audit? Like what what should folks expect as kind of like the industry standard? And I know it's going to vary depending on context and de- depending on like kind of project and like what it is that you're auditing. But what are you, you know you're you're clearly a, a you know great guy. You've built up a great brand for yourself. I know that you do great work. So what what are what are the things that like you think about with respect to what makes a really good audit and what should kind of be the the industry standard be? Yeah, Zach. And as I listen to you, I think we both cringe when we hear the word audit. We probably <laughs> both cringe when we hear the word assessment. And uh, so part of that is that I do believe there's tremendous value of having an outside set of eyes yeah. kind of come in and evaluate. A quote I heard a long time ago is, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. Hmm. And I think it's really helpful when I've seen things because people are moving so fast. And so I think we need to recognize we have an equal cringe factor for this. <laughs> we need to understand it's easy for people to point out what is broken. Yeah. Um, I think a, a successful assessment might be something that says, here's what's absolutely working and being able to affirm that in terms of, uh, of that um, work. And then also, Zach, our industry is void of priorities. Mm. You know, oftentimes we treat things as being equal where they're not. So I love helping in terms of when I might come in and, and help evaluate and use some some data to, to help in that evaluation, um, you know, helping in terms of priorities. Here's three or four things um, that you could do. But as soon as we end this conversation, go and address number one, hmm. because the impact of doing that is going to trump what we have in terms of two, three, and four. So I think, again, it's find the, the right group. I think empathy is really important, again, as part of that. And then how are we going to give them a tools act that might not be a one-time audit, but something they could use on an ongoing evaluation? Yeah. So one of those things we've developed is called a, a GP. GPS. It's a, um, a, a general perception survey. And we use that for our internal audiences where we'll go and we'll survey faculty and staff. We'll ask them what is working so mm. that over time we can protect that. And we'll also see if there's any gaps relating to how we're communicating, what our distinctives are, and what is our marketing readiness. Mm. So what I really encourage schools is to say, go back in two years, go back to those same audiences and show how through intentionality and through a strategy, we've been able to narrow those gaps. Yeah. So 
I think it's really important in terms of how schools are engaging um, these level of assessments and how important, again, that standardization is so that we can provide that comparative data. Yeah. Uh, presidents and boards would be really frustrated to your point. Schools are spending hundreds of thousand dollars on market research and they're not using it in terms of driving what they're doing from a marketing or branding standpoint. And we can't let that happen. Yeah. We're all is going to have limited resources and we need to again prioritize how we use those yeah yeah it's funny <laughs> that was a, that was a great response ryan but um i i remember when we were filming we were shooting for terry flannery's uh master course and again we got the privilege to go to a bunch of different campuses right and um there were several times where we'd walk into like a, a marketing leader's office right and you'd like look at like their desk and I would start talking to them about whatever. And, you know, and, and then anytime we started talking about like marketing audits or marketing research, now, again, these are, these are marketing professionals that have high, high, high respect for like research and its importance and whatnot. But there would yeah. be this like chuckle because there was inevitably some like the, the massive, you know, book or the massive like pile of papers in like the top right corner of their desk was like some market research firm uh, you know, a report that then that was just like sitting there. Right. Um, and like, we would like laugh about it a little bit. And, and again, I, I, do, I don't think this isn't to bash market research. Obviously it's incredibly important. Uh, we just spent a little bit of time talking about how important data is, but, I, but, I, but I do feel like, yeah, the missing gap is like, how do you help people actualize this in, in a meaningful way? And is there a way to do that? That doesn't require them to just like either have to hire 10 people and, or have to hire your, your, your firm, right, to solve, you know, their problems. And I, I, I want, I, I think that there's an opportunity actually in, in the marketplace for audits that do a better job at giving you the crawl, walk, run sort of approach, yeah. give you incredible insight and then say, okay, hey, Ryan, I know this is what I've learned about your team. You've got three people on your team. You are small. You've got like giants that need to be slayed. Like this is going to be tough you're not gonna be able to do this overnight. So option A is yes, you can go and you can hire us to do this stuff. Option B is like, I think you probably need to hire another couple people or option C is like, given the resources that you do have, right? Here's kind of a three year roadmap of what I think you should do each month for the next three years that I think will, will also help you get to the same place. And I, I feel like that kind of content, that kind of context delivered in the format of an audit, like isn't there. And I, I wish, I wish I saw more of that. Yeah. I, yeah. And as I listen to you, Zach, I think that's a, the ideal model. And there's certain things that schools can collect on their own. And there's certain things that absolutely you want to hire an outside group. Yeah. So when I think about the bias we would introduce potentially, there's great value. And, and, and when I watch some of the pricing, Zach, the, mm. to your Point that um, you know schools have probably overpaid yeah. you know for research that um, so and then when I think I've just gone through several um, brand refreshes mm. and um, so now we've done I've done a lot of quantitative data we've got survey research and then I'm really encouraging our clients get a group of students together three months from now when you think about the rollout of these web pages. Yeah. Think about and then the accessibility of people who already have some familiarity with their brand. Um, so we're never going to go wrong keeping the focus on students. Yeah. And that's why I love our CMOs to go in with their cabinet colleagues. They people are, you know, very subjective. I love this message. I and again, the data to say, yeah, we've got 4000 students who really love, you know, this particular aspect. Yeah. And 
Um, so doing it on a calendar, doing it with priorities and doing it, Zach, with a sense of and a mindset of so what mm. we're not approach any audiences and just go collect data for data's sake. Yeah, we're going to be very deliberate. And then when I talk about a scorecard, maybe the CMO would use for their leadership and board. That's where I have some really critical tracking points. Yeah. What are prospective students willingness to think of us as a first choice institution yeah. today? number is 84%. And we aspire that that number is closer to 90%. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes of all time is nothing is good or bad without comparison. And we can't make comparisons without having standardized instruments. I always remember college president, one standardized question we would ask is, would you recommend this university to prospective students? And this president's act was so excited because it was 89%. Until I told him I've done at least 30 of those studies, and it was the lowest number I've seen, that most institutions would be at 92 or 93 yeah. percent because made an investment. They might be evaluating this through rose-colored glasses. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to make those comparisons unless we asked the same questions and had that um, standardized instrument. So um, schools need market research. And to your point, we need to be very strategic about how we go about that and uh, how we prioritize who we're studying and how we're going to use that information. Love that, love that. And one last note too that um, uh, you know, I think I think hopefully people will start doing more of. But again, I I just haven't seen this yet, um, or I, I should say I haven't seen this at scale yet. Like coupling the uh, the quantitative and qualitative research with students, asking them, you know, whether it's surveys or or small focus groups, right, um, and and other stakeholders, of course, but also also like just doing a little bit of work to understand like doing doing even just some some basic some basic SEO work to understand what are you currently ranking for that's off brand right meaning like and there are a number of tools that help you do this right but like i i, I am just floored sometimes cuz sometimes students say something but then they search something else right like so a student when they're being asked to take a survey or sit down in a focus group might say oh yeah 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 this 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 aspect of the institution is like like really matters to me but then you find out that like they didn't the, the way that they discovered the school and like throughout their journey they didn't use any particular keywords right when 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 conducting their search that that you know is indicative of the fact that they were actually they actually cared about that at the time that they were searching for the school they might care about it now that they're there in their junior year but again if the goal is to capitalize on like you know in, increasing enrollment right it's. It, I would argue that it's more important to understand what were the terms and topics and keywords, right, that yeah. enabled the student to first become acquainted with your brand, right? And so, and again, I know that this is like this is this can be hard to do, and it's you know it's a slippery slope for sure, and there's lots of there's lots of like very like plausible like great rebuttals to this, but I do feel like audits should start to include even a basic understanding for the respective institution of like, hey, here are your fifty to a hundred like non-branded search terms of how people are actually finding your content today, right? And then couple that with site search data. So if you don't have a, if your school doesn't have a good site search tool and Google site search is not sufficient enough, you need like a better like site search tool, couple that data with also like, okay, once students are on your website, 
what is it that they are actually searching for? And like seeing that data coupled with all this other data that you're collecting as a part of an audit, I think is incredibly important. And I am just shocked, Ryan, that this isn't more standard in these reports. Yeah. Yeah. And as I listen to you too, Zach, we understand that students um, don't uh, just make a decision in a matter of a day, a week, or a month. This is a long process. Yeah. I think the other, you know, misnomer is that, you know, students are traditional in high schools and that's not the case. You know, adult learners are the new majority in higher ed. And we can see some schools that have absolutely, you know, shifted in terms of being able to provide very relevant pathways. Um, so when I talk about the time that marketing takes and understand seniors in school, don't just wake up and say, yes, I want to go to this. Uh, there's been a long. So I, to your point, would be very interested early on. What are those uh, associations? What are people, um, you know, thinking in terms of program offerings? Yeah. What does that mean for an adult learner? Yeah. And, and- very crowded marketplace in terms of their search criteria and the types of things that are most important for them as they seek out an educational partner. Yeah. One, one quick uh, last comment on this, and then I've got a couple of final questions for you, Ryan, but um, I, I was talking with a school who they swore, they swore this was for a, um, this was for an MBA program. They swore that their differentiator was like, like cost, right? Like that's what, and cause when you, when you would like go and you'd, um, you'd they'd interview their students and whatnot, people would be like, They'd ask, you know, hey, what were the factors that, you know, mattered most in your decision? And, and cost was always like a factor. But what they actually found is when it came to generating inquiries, right, for this respective program, their key driver, right, was the fact that they had a hybrid offering uh, in their particular local market. And, and they wouldn't have known that, like, without actually doing some work of understanding what they were ranking for. And they were, they happened to be ranking like number one for hybrid MBA programs in their respective region. Right. And so they were about to go do all this work to like really tout, like do this big campaign about cost and like why, you know, why we're the most affordable option and whatnot. And in actuality, when it came to generating new inquiries, which was again, their, their goal with this campaign, it was the hybrid factor. But again, people were only asking the students. They weren't, they weren't backing that up with like search data. Right. And I, 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 again, you, you have to do both. And I just think that there's, there's an opportunity for, you know, marketers out there, uh, marketing agencies out there, right. Um, uh, to, to do a better job of incorporating search data, especially unbranded, non-branded search data into these reports, just to couple with what students with the qualitative and and quantitative data that they're gathering from, from students and other stakeholders, it's only going to make the the report and the findings like that much stronger. So anyways, that's my, I'll get off my little soapbox here. but uh but Ryan a couple final questions for you before before I let you go here so you know as you think about you've been doing a lot of work with with leaders um at at these colleges and universities and I'm curious about um when it comes to marketing tactics or even or even marketing channels or strategies what are what are some of like where do you feel like these leaders attention is is being held and is going like are these, are, do you get folks saying like, Hey, we want to go all in on TikTok? Do you get folks saying like, Hey, like w- we tried this TikTok thing. It's not really working. Like, do you have folks saying, Hey, no, Facebook is still this like incredible driver of, of, of inquiries for us and, 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 you know, um, and, and whatnot, or like what are, what are, from a tactical standpoint and from, and, or from a channel standpoint, what, what are leaders thinking about? 
Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned TikTok, uh, Zach, because it is. It, it's a very powerful, you know, tool for reaching uh, um, a variety of different audiences. But at the end of the day, it's a tactic. And what I really want to do is move presidents, move leaders from tactics to strategy. And it's been amazing, Zach, when I've done this internal GPS of how many schools don't have a positioning strategy. Hmm marketing team is just really left to tactics. Mm. You know, how can we push things out on, on uh, TikTok? How can we, um, you know, as Facebook continues to change its algorithm, how can we have some sort of presence there? And the reality of it is the most successful organizations have a very clear cut positioning strategy and the tactics to be able to achieve that strategy become much clearer. So you and I talked earlier about the great uh, success I've enjoyed on LinkedIn. I'm not on other social media platforms. Yeah, yeah. I've had other people really say, go here. And, and for me, that's counterintuitive to focus. Mm. So when I think about thriving institutions, priorities, Zach, if we could introduce that as the new fifth P, it's critical hmm. because what we would understand is with a very clear positioning strategy, all social media channels aren't created equal. All things that we've traditionally done to be able to reach prospective students. And again, moving the conversation away from promotion. I get really excited now that marketers are at least having a seat at the table when we think about programs. Schools are really great at adding programs, Zach, and they're really not good at getting rid of them. So I work with schools that say, oh my gosh, we used to have 50 students in that program. Then it went to 25 yeah. and now we're at five. Yeah. What that says is the market, this program is no longer in demand. Yeah. A thriving institution, Zach, would engage in a program of priorities assessment and really have hard conversations about things that are no longer viable, either to their mission or their financial viability. So that's where I want presidents and leaders to move the conversation from what is on our website, what is on our billboard, towards what are we offering? Yeah. What is the, the relevancy of that? And um, and then if we're not offering market savvy programs, we could put a billion dollars into the promotional aspect and we won't enroll one more student. Yeah. So I, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about changing the conversation with presidents and leaders about marketing's role and how we can really impact things over time. Yeah. And you know, Zach, people think that, you know, we can in a short amount of time, days, weeks, or months. And the reality of it is branding takes time. Yeah. And we're talking about changing and influencing how people associate your college. And we need to have a very specific strategy about how we're able to do that. But I've been disappointed as I engage in these surveys, Zach, to think that if we're not doing anything else, we need to have a positioning strategy. Yeah. And if we're able to get the buy-in and be able to do that, then our tactics around marketing are going to be much more effective. Yeah. But so many schools are still kind of using that shotgun approach. Let's try another channel. Let's try another, you know, social media um, uh, opportunity. And let's address the strategy first, and then we'll figure out those tactics that allow us to get there. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, this has been 
uh, a bunch of gold. I really appreciate you taking time out of your your busy life, out of your busy uh, LinkedIn posting, um, to uh, to share some some thoughts with us. I think this has been incredibly valuable. I learned from you, and I uh, just want to encourage you to keep up the great work because I'm sure. I'm sure you get a lot of DMs from people thanking you, but then there's probably a ton of other people that um, don't reach out but have have received a lot of value from the content that you create. So keep up the great work. Uh, if you not you are not following Ryan already, we'll go ahead and drop his LinkedIn. Um, um, uh, what's the word? I wanted to say handle, but that's a Twitter thing. What do you call LinkedIn? Uh, I guess bios. Uh, whatever. In you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. We'll drop it in the show notes. You can go and you can click the link. You can connect with Ryan and start following him. Uh, and then Ryan, um, we'll also throw in Five Degrees Branding's uh, website as well, where you are you're playing an important role as an SVP there right now, and uh, that they're doing a lot of great work in the branding space. So if you need a brand audit or brand refresh, uh, make sure you reach out to Ryan and the team over at Five Degrees. Ryan, sir, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Zach, I appreciate the platform and uh, know that this is goodbye for now. Look forward to connecting soon and appreciate the time today. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.